1: What up, world? Welcome, all to another episode of the Ocho, presented to you in partnership, as always, with SB Nation's in the boys.com My name is Arjo Ochoa. You know me, of course, from BTB and from right here as your humble host on the Ocho. It is Thursday, the third day, June fourth, two thousand and twenty, and we hope that all is well wherever you are. We hope you're happy, safe, healthy, practicing social distancing, and we hope that talking about the Dallas Cowboys brings you some joy in these troubling times and. We are in extremely difficult times, and it's so difficult to put into words uh, what, what is happening, what we're feeling. Um, things in in the world and in our country are um, are just very, very, very difficult uh, to say the least. And we have seen so many acts and so many, you know, um, movements led by public figures and celebrities and athletes. And on Wednesday. We saw something led by Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. Um, obviously, Dak has been in the news a lot for contractual reasons, for football reasons, and we're going to get into that here in a little bit. Um, but on Wednesday, Dak Prescott made a very, very powerful statement on his Instagram page uh, in a four-part statement. We wrote about this um, at blogontheboys.com. Dak Prescott um, seemingly stood up. I'm going to read Dak Prescott's statement verbatim. Uh, if you have not seen it, again, it is on his Instagram Page We wrote about it. You can see it there. Um, and it is very powerful. Um, it is obviously, um, you know, something that that sparks debate from people. Um, and we're not, you know, we're, we're, we're hoping, uh, I should say, to, you know, to have a, a conversation. And so here uh, are Dak Prescott's words from his Instagram page. As a black multiracial American, I am disgusted and unsettled. I am as optimistic as they come. I try to understand and find the positive in every situation or aspect of my life. My mom left me the word faith to live out for a reason. I believe in the good in each individual and this country as a whole. To be humble and to see every man and woman as the same takes humility and accountability. As our communities take action, protesting and fighting for the justice of George Floyd in every black life, I am with you. I have viewed these protests and riots in our streets as a form of strength and an attempt to show we as black people have rights that aren't being perceived equally as our counterparts. These riots have caused consternation and confusion in an already crisis-driven world. I do not believe in looting or that violence is the answer. I have personally struggled, along with our country, since the coronavirus pandemic began. Anxiety became something I had to understand and battle with as I searched to find a purpose without the game of football around. I wanted to help, make a change, be a part of something that fixed the pandemic." During that search, I lost an idol, my brother. He and I shared the same mission, find a bigger purpose. As I process the passing of my brother, I have come to realize we are not given a voice to pronounce how much we matter. It is our obligation to tell our neighbor how much they matter to us and take a stand for the greater good of each other. Black lives matter. We must commit to hold ourselves and our communities accountable. We must teach one another about our differences. We must embrace the different colors, cultures, and ways of life. To be multiracial is beautiful, and that is what this country is. To the men and women that police our streets, I have the utmost respect for those of you with a passion for protecting and serving your communities. When you chose to wear the badge of a police officer, you pledged to protect life and property through the enforcement of our laws and regulations. How can you claim to uphold the law when those within your own ranks don't abide by it? You need to hold your own accountable. Each of you are as guilty as the men who stood beside Derek Chauvin if you do not stand up against the systemic racism plaguing our police forces nationwide. Take action. As long as cops continue to profile blacks as a threat, cops will continue to be perceived as untrustworthy. You have to change yourself before you can ask anyone else to change. I stand to make a change. I stand to see our country whole. I stand to make our country equal. I stand to help other streets, excuse me, to help our streets and communities trust one another. I stand for black lives. I stand for love. I will take action and help. I will act alongside of all of you. We will clean our streets and our communities not only of the looting and violence but most importantly the racism, racial profiling and hate. I plan to take action and pledge 1 million dollars to improve our police training and address systemic racism throughout education and advocacy in our country. God bless, all love, Dak Prescott, faith, uh, and then Dak Prescott signed it. And again, very, very, very powerful words from Dak Prescott, um, mentioning the loss of his brother that we've talked about, um, noting that he's dealt with anxiety uh, over the last few months, seemingly throughout the coronavirus pandemic. A lot of people have um, struggled to... Find you know identity and, and meaning and, and definition and a lot of things with so much of how our worlds have all been rocked, and um, a lot of Cowboys players uh, seemingly appreciated what Dak Prescott had to say on social media. Demarcus Lawrence quoted uh, a tweet uh, noting the news and said, "That's my QB salute, Dak." A lot of players reshared it or retweeted it or reposted it on their Instagram stories. Um, so. Uh, we, we wrote about this and we did write in our article at um that, you know, because we do have a comment section and uh, if you are choosing to partake in that and, and be part of the discussion, we simply ask that you keep things civil. Um, we we want to learn. Everyone wants to learn from each other. And uh, that's our goal. And I, I speaking personally and for myself, I found what Dak Prescott said to be very impressive. Uh, and I tweeted this, you know, for the last four years many Cowboys if not all Cowboys players have said that Dak Prescott is their unquestioned leader every Cowboys player that I've ever talked to about that subject has always said that there is no doubt that he is their leader and I've always asked why right like that's always been my follow-up question and I understand the why now speaking for myself um Dak is is that guy that Dak is a is a leader simply um and so to pledge $1 million is very impressive uh, for, from Dak Prescott's efforts. And so, um, you know, I, I don't mean to to turn, you know, the discussion so abruptly into football, um, but a uh, great friend of mine, Bobby Belt, who I know a lot of you know and follow as well and listen to on the Boys and Girl podcast that he does with Jane Slater on the Herd Network. Bobby wrote something this week. He had been talking to me about it and, you know, putting it together. And so um, I thought it would be great to have a conversation about it. It was um, about the you know most common criticism that people have of Dak Prescott and Bobby tried to kind of address them all and he was kind enough to take some time and uh and join us here on the show to uh to discuss and so um we're going to talk about football next and talk about Dak Prescott as a football player as a quarterback as the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys and um we um we hope that you'll um we hope that you'll enjoy that so without further ado here he is Bobby Belt from NFL Network joins us next right here on the Ocho Pleased to be joined now by a very good friend of the show, very good friend of mine, and what I'm sure is a very good friend of yours. The one and only, you know him from NFL Network, does all the fantastic field producing out there, the Boys and Girl Podcast, and from probably trolling anything and everything that you love. The one and only
2: Bobby Belt. Robert, it's been a minute. I'm not the one and only, though. My dad was Bobby Belt, and his dad was Bobby Belt. Yeah. Not but- Junior or the third or anything, though, because. We didn't have the same middle name thing going on, but they were both Bobby Velp, So I'm not the one and only.
1: I, um, I know a guy's name is Michael Frey and he's Michael Frey the fourth. He's one of my great pals and his Twitter bio, it might be different now, but it used to say something like I'm the fourth in Michaels, but the first in awesome. I thought that was really cool.
2: I don't. I think that's really lame. But I mean, geez, Mike's a own. good guy. So I, mean, you know. I know, no, I. I mean, I'm sure he's a good guy. I'm sure I would really like him. But I'm just saying, like, I wouldn't necessarily vote that as uh, like awesome, like you did.
1: Um, well, maybe that's because you're tired.
2: Um, you know, maybe I am. Just... I'm tired and like I'm just kind of worn down. Everything's beating me down right now. Sure. It's kind of hard um, to be like it's kind of hard to be like super pumped about anything right now Roel.
1: Of course. I mean, we're obviously in some some tense times in our world. I was referring to how you um began your I don't know what to call this. Um I, I I'll say it this way. You wrote something Bobby um at com um no dot
2: wordpress.com
1: well okay whatever but uh it's it's been a while (laughs) since i dabbled in wordpress actually um but
2: um anyway um, center rj again
1: so um it it it, to me felt like and i knew you were gonna write this because we're good pals too um Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. although you know i need to work on on crossing you over to mike you know what i mean like i need to be the venn diagram for for awesome people uh but anyway um so when i learn that you were going to write this etc um it felt like jerry um you know not jerry seinfeld jerry Maguire, um writing mm-hmm. the mission statement you know talking about and then like yeah. going to um whatever it was like kinko's or whatever and then like having them all printed and put in all the mailboxes that's what it kind of felt like to me um is you
2: well, know, i hope more than one person follows me though <laughs>
1: Uh, Yeah, that's true. Um, You know, uh, you had me at hello. Actually, a funny story about that. I always Mm -hmm. used to hear people like reference that line. uh, But that movie came out when you and I were fairly young. And Mm -hmm. I didn't, even though I'd seen the movie, I did not connect that it was from that movie until like the age of 17. So um, that's my bad.
2: Wow. Yeah, you got a lot of pop culture blind spots. As much as I know you're a lover of pop culture, you got a lot of them that are, 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 Kind of inexcusable. I mean, that's one. Like to not know that till you're 17. That's kind of nuts. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of relevant stuff in there for, you know, football fans and cowboy fans specifically. Like Rob okay. Tidwell scoring the big touchdown on Monday right. night against the Cowboys. It's great. It's a great movie.
1: Anyway, um, so what you wrote was entitled. The complete, <laughs> the complete defense of Dak Prescott. The font is just so intimidating. Debunking the nine most common criticisms, and the opening, you know, sequence reads, "I'm exhausted. I've reached my breaking point. I can't argue about Dak Prescott any longer." Uh, well, Bobby that's has... not true.
2: You know me. I will probably argue for forever. But, right now, you know, Bob- Bobby in that has... moment, I felt like it.
1: Bobby's tweeted this. We shared it on the blog and the boys Twitter feed. Uh, the episode you're listening to is our Thursday episode. So make sure to check my Twitter profile on Thursday and uh, we'll get it out again. Bobby, can you start us off with kind of the impetus here and and where everything started for you as, as we kind of dive into your, uh, your analysis here?
2: Uh, well, I mean, as you know, I didn't intend to write it as like an actual written piece. I was writing it more as like a structure for a video that I was going to do. Yeah, like a um, script. Yeah, but that was going to, the more I looked at it, the more I was like, this is, uh, there's still so much work to be done. And I'm just one man. And I don't know that I want to put in all the editing work and things like that. And so, uh, you know, I'm petty, but I'm also lazy. And so I think I had done as much as I possibly could to kind of outline it. So then I just kind of fixed some things around to make it more article format and, and written format, which I, I fully admit, if you read it and uh, you come away with the take of, um, that's not the most elegant article I've ever read. Um, that I don't disagree with you, not a writer, um, but there were just, I, I'm really tired of hearing essentially the same points over and over and over again. There's no evolution in the arguments from Dak Prescott's critics. And it's the frustrating thing is that it, it hasn't mattered that the evidence changes, you know, that we get things to debunk it. The arguments remain and it's all trumped in the end by, well, my eyes tell me that he's not accurate. Okay. Well, nothing agrees with that. Uh, You know, when you look at the film, when you look at the statistics, there's nothing that agrees with that. When you listen to opponents talk about him, when you listen to the Cowboys talk about him. And so it's more just kind of an outline of, I'm tired of pointing to each one, and so from now on, just when I get that question back to me or or some argument back to me, I'm just going to say, you know, here's the link, point number four. Go down there, that'll tell you why I think you're stupid, basically. The um the
1: way I looked at it, and I hadn't told you this yet, but um, you won't get this because of a pop culture loophole that you have. Uh, when Game of Thrones came back, or anytime like anything that's in like a Star Wars, uh, are you that, not I mean, entertained? Well, anything that's like in the Star Wars universe or like the Marvel universe, anytime anything like that comes out, like a new film or a new whatever. Um, somebody Mm -hmm. always does like a YouTube video that's like, here's everything you need to know. You know what I mean? Like if if you missed episodes of the Star Wars, like one through eight, here's, here's everything. And you know, it's like a 20 minute video. Or or
2: like, or like those articles that heavy writes. That's like the five things you need to know about what, and yeah, I I know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, for sure. So that's kind of how I ultimately sort of um, settled with this. Um, I want to roll through it. So number one, And, and, you know, the font is really uh, the Boys
2: and Girl podcast. So make sure you check that out, Bobby. Well, because remember, I had done a lot of groundwork to get the video done. (laughs) So I had started getting titles done and I was just not going to not use them. So instead of actually writing them out, I was like, I'm going to get use out of these because I don't want it to be for nothing. Uh,
1: But still make sure you, um, you listen to the boys and girls podcast uh, with Bobby and Jane. They do a great job. Um, So the first one, anyone could win with Dak Prescott supporting cast. Now I submit to you, Bobby, that I think this take was really born. When Andy Dalton signed. I don't know that this was I mean it was out there, but I feel like that it was like in the fourth gear, you know, pre-Andy Dalton, and then we like shifted and then hit the Nas. And now that oh, take yeah. is like
2: everywhere. Yeah, I think that's been the uh revival of a take that had initially come along at its most absurd time like the most absurd time for it to come up was when it was initially birthed which was in the middle of 2016 when he was a rookie right and everybody was trying to say anybody could win with them okay we are literally a year removed from nobody other than romo being able to win with them right that you know when tony was in the lineup they were three and one that year and the year before with tony they were you know 12 and three and they won a playoff game and they were close to winning a second and in that time you then had Brandon Whedon, Matt Castle, and Kellen Moore give it a shot um, against not a particularly rough schedule, and they went one and eleven, and couldn't do anything. And one and eleven, I don't know if you remember the one victory that they had. Of course, on was, the road, uh,
1: Washington Monday Night Football.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know to get into I'm the insu- position to. I'm insulted. That you, I, oh, I, I I remember this
1: um, because th- you and I were early friends at this point and we had a disagreement on whether that was in the best interest of the team that was i don't know if you're i, I mentioned you know when i used to dabble in wordpress uh when i was writing it inside the star i would remember i wrote all those plans that was like here's the cowboys route to the playoffs they need you know oh yeah a- xyz whatever and but like my point was they had a legitimate path of the playoffs assuming romo could return um at some point but obviously that was a feeble dream.
2: Well, and this was a game – that was a game that they went 1-11 that year with anyone not named Tony Romo. And that one victory was actually on the road against the Redskins by three points. And uh, it was good old Lucky Whitehead returning a kick with 47 seconds left, you know, up to about midfield or wherever he was. And then, you know, a couple Des Bryant passes, you're in position for Dan Bailey to make a 54-yard field goal to end the game. And so even that one was a little tense there at the end. They very easily could have been 0-12 without anybody other than Romo. But that's the only apples-to-apples comparison we can possibly have because Dak has started every game since he's been here. Um, You can't really compare, well, what did Dak do last year to what Romo did this year? Anything like that. You're not going to be able to get the correct comparison of the supporting cast and, and, you know, what – others would have done with it other than if you just compare 15 to 16 which is minimal t- turnover other than ezekiel elliott was added to the full-time rotation which he's a great player so if i'm not discounting that's a small thing um but ezekiel elliott was added Dak prescott was added and then you know you had orlando skandrick back who was not the same player after missing all of 2015 with an injury um you lost rolando mcclain you lost greg hardy Uh, Dez was banged up both years. Uh, Jason Witten, Doug Free, Brandon Carr, they were another year older than they were in 2015 and another year further into their declines. And so they shouldn't have been – Dak shouldn't have been 12 wins better than those three if anybody could do it. And and Ezekiel Elliott, as great as he is, is not a 12-win difference maker. That's just – the facts. If you look at 2017, the very next year, after they went 13 and three uh, they were six and four with Zeke and they were three and three without him. They were essentially the same team with and without him that year. And so we know he doesn't make that 12 win type of difference, but outside of just that sort of comparison there, the thing I love is always that people say that anybody could do it. Dak, you know, holds them back. He doesn't, you know, make any sort of a difference. He doesn't move the needle. Well, they have the six most victories in the NFL since he entered the league and they only trail the Ravens, Steelers, Saints, Chiefs, Patriots. So you're talking about Lamar Jackson, you know, I want to stop
1: you there because mm-hmm. that, that is an interesting point to me. And this is a question uh, we had Werder on the seven five Oh this week. Um, and I kind of asked him this, but so, as you mentioned in here under the first point, I, I we got to come up with a better name for these, like, as opposed to points, like, like the first, like, you know, like checkpoint or something like it's more it's more intense than a point anyway um yeah so the, the, I, I, the only teams that have more victories in the cowboys since Dak prescott became starting quarterback are the baltimore ravens pittsburgh steelers new orleans saints kansas city chiefs and new england patriots would you agree that all of those teams have elite head coaches
2: um yes
1: yes right okay because you're you're talking John Harbaugh, mm-hmm. Mike Tomlin, Sean Payton, Andy Reid, Bill Belichick. Literally now all Super Bowl winners. Um yes. and so my question then is to the hypothetical arbitrary person, where does the credit belong? Because there there is a, a legitimate amount of credit to be, you know, uh, shared, you know, around the Cowboys for the past 4 years. They've won a lot of football games granted no postseason success, but it it you know, there there is a crux, right? Like and the the person you know that we're kind of talking to here, you know, I'm assuming belongs to the you know mindset that is Jason Garrett's trash. Jason Garrett sucked. Okay, well then, what what did it? You know, <laughs> like if if you agree that Jason Garrett was not a great head coach, what what was the driving force behind putting the Cowboys in the same company as these five teams?
2: Right, and teams. If you look at how teams win across the NFL, and then and all those teams ahead of Dallas, they have. Big time quarterback play, and right. you know big time passing attacks. and and so the thing that's interesting to me is that for you to say that Dallas is getting less than elite play or less than top level play at the most important position on the football field. For Dallas to be in the company of those five teams that are getting elite play and are getting elite coaching, you then have to reason that over the last four years, outside of quarterback, Dallas has overall had a significantly better football team than the Ravens, Steelers, Saints, Chiefs, and Patriots, and that's nuts. Right. That is a ridiculous claim that nobody would make.
1: Right, and and because so, especially if you fall you know, in the mindset that Jason Garrett was not great, because then, then you're actually saying this, this roster is so overwhelmingly great that they have
2: overcome a mediocre
1: quarterback and a mediocre head coach. That's just impossible
2: right uh, to, to be the you know sixth most winning team in the nfl over that stretch and, and the second most winning team in the nfc mm-hmm. I, I mean that's that's not realistic you can't make that argument and then one of the things i always like to point to about you know dax level playing stuff like that do you remember 2015 what the one of the uh common jokes cowboys fans would make at the end of 2015 about who should be voted mvp of the league in 2015
1: it was Tony Romo and people made yeah. the same argument in 2011 when Peyton Manning was the year, because that yeah, really like, shows oh, how valuable he is to the team.
2: Look, yeah. look how much they fall apart. And then in a year's time, it goes to, well, anybody could do that. Right. You know, Dak, Dak's not making, you know, he's not anybody in, okay, well, how did it go from that in 2015 to that Romo should be the MVP. Cause you see how they literally can't win a football game without him to they were the number one seed and you know they won the uh second most games in regular season history of a team uh, against teams that were at or above 500 at the time that they played they also really good teams at the time
1: my favorite statistic from 2016 was they had eight consecutive games with over 400 total offensive yards do you know the only other two teams in nfl history to do that before the 2016
2: cowboys Before the 2016 Cowboys, I would default, I guess, to the 2007 Patriots and the 1998 Vikings.
1: You're half right. It's the 2007 Patriots and the 2013 Denver Broncos. So you're talking about literally, in the kind of to the point, you know, we started this with in the company of two, like what are literally the two greatest offenses in nfl history by most statistical measures um but yeah anybody could have done that you know like if jameel showers hadn't been flipped to safety he would have done that you know what i mean
2: like that's the argument these people make He's great. Jamil Showers would have carried the fourteen and two. They wouldn't have been thirteen and three.
1: Okay, so let's let's move to your second point here. Um, mm-hmm. I'm still working on on a name for these, but your second one is maybe the most popular one. Um, Ezekiel Elliott carries Dak Prescott. That's what everybody says. Oh, with Zeke not there, the defense would pay more attention to Dak. Dak's fortunate because the box is loaded. Those are all the takes.
2: Which, to the credit of the uh, Dax critic community, I feel like they've cooled on this one a little bit. That's fair. It's not nearly as prevalent as it, was, it once was. It
1: was one, It's one of the OGs. You know what I mean? Like, it was one oh, of yeah, the first it was, ones. It was,
2: it was the number one thing people said for the first probably two and a half years of Dax's career. Right. Um, I think when Amari Cooper got here and you saw how explosive the passing game could be, people kind of backed off of it a little bit. Um, but... It's an easy argument to make because, you know, A, Zeke is such a prolific runner. He puts up gaudy statistics. He's, you know, a dominant back. Um, And the other reason why it's so easy and and why there was all this thought for the first year and a half that that's why Dak was good. And then the very first time that Zeke was out, uh, you saw them just get throttled three weeks in a row. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was easy for people to go, look, do you see this? Like they are, you know, getting beat by – 20 plus points every game without Ezekiel Elliott. This is proof that he is the, uh, the engine or the straw that stirs the drink or whatever stupid analogy people make there. Um, But that was just the first three weeks. I I really would have been interested to see if Ezekiel Elliott's holdout had gone into the 2019 season. Like I think for sure that team's three and oh, regardless.
1: I remember um, as you know, this is our Thursday episode. So yesterday we had a new episode of talking the star with Connor Livesy, And he has, I remember he made the point, Maybe it was around the Jets game last season, um, of or maybe throughout the game, something to the effect of, you know, this would not be happening if Tony Pollard was your starting running back, which I think is the the point you're at least wanting to, you know, see the hypothetical of.
2: Sure, and, and I mean like the the people, I don't think realize the uh, lack of explosiveness in Zeke's game um, any longer, and so I would have been interested to see that those first three games with. Pollard and and the type of uh, speed that he displays and the type of that that aspect that he would bring to what Kellen Moore is trying to do on offense last year you had Pollard and Zeke had the same amount of 20 yard runs which is insane to think about after, you know, you think of all the big runs that Zeke was ripping off in his first season. But really it was – people think about three weeks after the suspension and go, they were 0-3, they couldn't beat anybody. It's hilarious. And it's easy to remember those were really ugly games. And Dak specifically was not great. Um, I I think the Philly game was probably his worst. Because I think the Chargers game, if you remember that one, um, that was more just about – three interceptions really undid that one. He didn't play horrible for the whole game and the Atlanta game. He couldn't go anywhere because Chaz green was historically bad. Right. Um, But the three weeks after that, and, and the, the four games, the, the other thing that people forget about those three weeks before I go back to three weeks after that, they didn't have Sean Lee. They didn't have Tyron Smith Or or Dan Bailey. And I think you can make the argument that Tyron Smith was their best player on offense at the time. And Sean Lee was their best player on defense. And so it's, you know, this really perfect storm of of bad things that were starting to develop for the Cowboys at around the same time. And Zeke was just the one that everybody was focused on. But, uh, you know, Sean Lee comes back, Tyron Smith comes back. uh, The the three weeks, the final three weeks of Zeke's suspension, uh, the Cowboys Real off three wins when it was, you know, they had to kind of win out in order to have a chance to make the playoffs. And uh, Dak stepped up and, and they won those three games. And if you look at actually including the season finale in 2018, the last four games that Dak has played without Zeke, he's 4 0. He has 10 touchdowns, uh, nine passing, one rushing. Uh, he's got just two picks. His yards per attempt is eight and a half. And his pass rating is over 106. And, and when you look at three of the four victories, they were on the road. And three of the four victories were also against, you know, division rivals. And so it's ridiculous to me to think that that one could still prevail, that people would still have that sort of an argument, uh, just given the evidence that we have. I think it's easy for people to forget that Dak's been pretty dominant the last few games without Ezekiel Elliott. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think it's just – old habits die hard. And this is a, a hallmark of a lot of the criticisms of Dak is that it doesn't seem to matter the evidence that's presented, right? It doesn't seem to matter that, you know, you start getting evidence to the contrary. It's you're dug in. Of and, the, and look, uh... I say, I say that as a man who enjoys digging in and <laughs> holding on much longer than he should, but it, it it's well, it's time on a lot of these takes, but especially this one.
1: Of the games that Dak has played without Zeke, which is the most impressive in your mind? Cause I think we have different thoughts here.
2: Um I think you're I gonna say, say twenty eighteen at New York. I think that statistically was the most impress like I think it was just the most impressive as a pass. I think the most impressive is just like a football player and as a leader it was the Oakland game.
1: That's my answer. Um because we forget the index card thing was fun, but that only happens because Dak picks up this critical. I know that was Zeke on the fourth down, um, but no, that was Dak on the fourth down.
2: But even uh, and and when Dak scrambles in for that touchdown, I will right. have that image for forever. I'm scrambling him and just like violently spiking the ball as people are throwing beers at him. Yeah, I, I mean that that was that was as as poor as it was at times from a, a performance perspective, which it wasn't great um at times i mean he overall played okay um but he had the two picks and things could have really been undone with that interception return for a touchdown at the beginning of the third quarter that ended out not being um but overall i think you look at <clears throat> how he kept himself composed in such a, a a team that was obviously kind of a chemistry mess at the time and was needing you know win or go home or win or you're out um i think that that from his leadership standpoint was the most important of the four games even though you could maybe argue it was the worst of the four games from a performance perspective
1: so i want to marry a couple of your other points here because sometimes when we chat we go a little long um yeah so uh, i recognize I'm, that <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be cognizant of that um so one of your points is that Dak prescott disappears in the clutch um mm-hmm. and i think that that kind of goes along with Dak Prescott can't beat great teams, and um, I think that kind of goes along with Dak Prescott pads his stats and garbage times, which kind of lends to the fact that he only beats you know crappy teams or whatever. Uh, a sure. shout out to Rachel Wiseman who sent me an email uh, and wanted to address this point. And I specifically asked you because Bobby is the type of troll that will come loaded. Um, to a discussion. Uh, So Rachel says, I hear this a lot talking about Dak playing poorly against good teams, and I never hear any context for it. My guess is that with the exception of Brady, most quarterbacks, including the great Drew Brees, do not have particularly impressive records against winning teams. I'd love to hear you guys address this issue. Go ahead, Bobby. uh, Answer Rachel's burning question.
2: Well, and so this is a – you and I were talking about this before. It's kind of an interesting question when people – use the terminology because it's like okay what are you describing you're talking about at the time of the game what the record was or are you talking about at the end of the season because a lot of times you'll beat teams early on who are uh you know have losing records or or whatever and then they they go on to have a winning record at the end of the year but they were a mess early when you beat them yeah like
1: like uh, to, to put an example on this like the 2014 49ers were not that great of a team but they beat the cowboys in week one who went on to like find themselves and become a good team
2: Oh, yeah. And at the time, everybody thought the 49ers were much better than Dallas. And I I think that you look at, um, you know, Dallas winning uh, early on. you, You look at some of these instances of, you know, the Cowboys losing to whatever team, early that ends out you know being awful down the stretch but was good early or dallas when they were 3-0 and and they go into right. new orleans or like
1: that, in, tw- that, that- in 2012 when they lost to seattle and rookie russell wilson everybody was like Pff.
2: you know what i mean and then obviously
1: right. they became something incredible
2: right and and i think that like it, it, teams are different versions of, the, of themselves throughout the season everybody was talking about dallas's you know best team in the NFL type of conversation after they started the season three and Oh, right. And passing attack was looking so good. And then they go into new Orleans and new Orleans wins that game. And you know, that was a, that's a big victory. And it doesn't matter that Dallas finished the season eight and eight, they beat a three and O team in a really tough football game. And so I think the context matters. And so I generally look at it as what was the record at the time of the game. And I think that, When you look at it, you know, she mentioned Drew Brees specifically. Last year, uh, Dak and the Cowboys went three and seven. It was a bad year. They went three and seven against teams that were 500 or better at the time of the game.
1: Right. And uh, if you look at a guy like Drew Brees. Again, to be clear, Bobby's talking at the time the Cowboys met that team. Their record might might have fluctuated throughout the rest of the season. Right.
2: Yes, exactly. So, at the time of the game, what was the record? Were they 500 or above? And uh, Dallas went 3-7 last year. It was brutal. Um, First career, Dak's now 22-20. So, he he had a comfortable record before last year, kind of reversed it a little bit. but you take a look at a guy like Drew Brees. Drew Brees is 22 and 18 in those games since 2016. So he has the same number of victories as Dak, and he has, you know, just two fewer losses. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also look at 2016 for Drew Brees. He went two and eight against teams that were 500 or better. Right. After, that was and, right. And, and that was, was right before
1: New Orleans's um, like late Drew Brees career renaissance began that they've mm-hmm. been on as of late.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, you look at the, uh, you know, another player who he's kind of similar, hanging around in the same territory, Russell Wilson. Um, and, I, you know, probably one of the more consistent teams over the last, you know, eight years or so has been the Seahawks. Mm, and the Russell Wilson that. Okay, Uh, and Russell Wilson's, but y'all go. Be sure to follow RJ. He's really close to you know thirty thousand. But you look at Russell Wilson, and uh, Russell Wilson uh, is—he's got a better record than Dak over the last four years against teams five hundred. But but it's not obscene. Dak's twenty-two and twenty. Russell Wilson's twenty-four, eighteen, and one. So it's like a two-game difference. Russell was swung two games his direction that Dak didn't. Um, And so I think it's—it's a little ridiculous, especially because it seems to come oftentimes that this argument seems to come from the people who most frequently say like quarterback wins aren't a stat. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: so it's like they they want to have it both ways. But I mean I think if you look at overall, you look at Dak's rookie season, and I referenced this earlier. He won nine games against teams that were 500 or better at the time of the game that was the second most in the history of an nfl regular season the patriots one of their super bowl runs had 10 and that was the nfl record and so Dak, as a rookie was getting right up to it and was winning big games against good teams late you know he was beating you know detroit and tampa with the giants right on top of them uh trying to you know surpass them in the division and with two victories against dallas they already had the tiebreaker and so uh you know, Dak was beating good teams that year. Dak has beat good teams throughout his career. If you look at uh, 2017, even when they were such a mess, they beat Kansas city. And that was a, a that game was that a Dak big really Dak carried game. Them. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a big game where Dak really carried them. Um, and I think you look at, you know, the playoff game against Russell Wilson. Yeah. That was in large part about Dak and, and his leadership and and his tenacity, um but the one that always is like driven me nuts more than just the like he doesn't beat good teams okay whatever like that that will that can get settled over time and and i think people will come realize it but the one that's always been hilarious to me has been the disappearing in the clutch and i'm not going to do this off the top of my head because i don't want to mess it up so i'm I'm gonna take a look at exactly what the numbers are but i'll run through it really fast so we probably et cetera
1: longer. dot wordpress.com <laughs> for the actual numbers
2: So when people talk about he disappears in the clutch, if you look at over the last four years, so since Dak entered the league in 2016, over the last four years, there've been 23 quarterbacks that have attempted at least 300 passes in the second half of games when the score is within a touchdown in either direction so in other words it's a one possession game and
1: to, to and be it's clear the second half to, of a football game just because I, I want to avoid the holes anyone could poke the reason bobby is qualifying this is because 300 passes is suggest that you know it wasn't just some dude that came in for one game you know one time had a this is like a quarterback that right. has sustainable starting time in the nfl since 2016.
2: Right, because the statistic I'm about to reference is the all-encompassing passer rating stat. And so if you're somebody who, you know, came in and started, you know, played in the second half for your injured quarterback and you had three touchdowns and owners that your passer rating is going to be like 150 and there's going to be people that push it down, but it's, it's not a fair enough sample size. So when you look at the 23 quarterbacks that have thrown 300 passes in that one possession of the second half in the last four years, Dak is the fifth highest rated passer of the 23. And wow. even if you want to broaden it out a little bit and say, well, 300s is too many that takes out, you know, potentially Patrick Mahomes or this person or that person. Yeah. Even if you expand it to, or, or you cut it and say it's a hundred attempts instead of 300, which significantly broadens the field, more than doubles it. It puts 47 quarterbacks in there. Dak goes from fifth among 23 to seventh among 47 in passer rating. And wow. he's ahead of, Deshaun Watson, he's ahead of Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, Aaron Rodgers, Jared Goff. But even if you like were to look at that and go, well, okay, but that means that if they're up by seven at the start of the third quarter and they you know, go on a drive that is perfect and you know it's the start of a blowout in the second half, those passes will be inc- included in there too. Even if you wanted to do something like that and then say that that's too broad a qualification for you know how he's stepping up in big moments, if you were to raise the stakes as – High as possible, and, and really broaden the scope, and not even just say from the time the DAX was in the league. So go back to 1994, which is as far back as you can search this data with Pro Football Reference's search tool. Go back to 1994. That's 26 seasons. There have been 79 quarterbacks that have attempted at least 40 passes in the fourth quarter or overtime of a tie game, meaning it is crunch time and the stakes are. As high as they can possibly be. It's a tie. You know, you can either go ahead or you can potentially fumble away the game with your decisions. And so, 79 quarterbacks since 1994 have attempted 40 passes in a tie game of the fourth quarter or overtime. And of those 79, the highest rated passers, the top three highest rated passers, Rich Gannon 111.6, Kurt Warner 120.0, and then it's Dak Prescott 150.5. Was that good? And when it's pretty good, and if you don't want to use passer rating, you say that jumbles in other things, I just care about touchdowns. The touchdown passing leaders of the 79, there's eight of them tied with six. It's guys like Romo, Manning, Roethlisberger, guys like that. There's number two is Tom Brady with seven, and the number one is Dak Prescott with eight. He has the most passing touchdowns of anybody over the last 26 years, and he's done it in the first four years of his career. He already has the most touchdown passes of – anybody who's attempted at least 40 passes in a tie game of the fourth or overtime. And then we look at, he's not just, you know, hitting big plays deep. He's, you know, he's got 10.9 yards per pass attempt. That's the highest among the 79. His completion percentage though is the best among the 79 too. It's 76.1. And when you look at the 12 other quarterbacks in those statistical clusters that encompass the top three other than Dak Prescott, it's, 67 Pro Bowl appearances, eight combined MVPs, and 13 combined Super titles. So you're talking about half of the Super Bowl titles won over the last quarter decade have been won by the guys in these statistical clusters that Dak is besting. He is so, he's the very best in the most critical situations.
1: So everything that you just said is extremely valuable to the person that is receptive to the information. You know that. Sure. I know that. However... Oftentimes, there is a flow chart of discussion for people that can listen potentially to everything you just said, uh, which is objective data, which is my favorite kind of data, and just literally follows a sequence that just says, yeah, but he hasn't won a Super Bowl. And that's one of your points of criticism here, because... And, and and I don't even really think this is a DAC issue as much as it is just a non-understanding of the NFL and to some degree economics as a whole. Um, sure. People, people want to say you know, he's not better than Russell Wilson. He can't command more than that. He's not better than, you know, whoever he, there's no way I wouldn't pay him more than this guy because he's not better. Um, what is your response to that?
2: It doesn't matter. That's right. just not how the quarterback market works. And then you cannot like it, but it, you not liking it doesn't. I would have be any the one, Bobby.
1: If it was my team, I would be the one to stand up and I would say I'm not gonna play in this quarterback market. That's, I, how many I times mean, have you it, seen that
2: tweet? It, I plenty, and I've heard it a lot on you know radio shows and and TV debate shows and things like that. But it's it doesn't work out like that. In fact, when you look at guys that were franchise tagged and then you know like walked up like the the only big example of we're not gonna pay it that anybody can think of in recent history is Kirk Cousins. Do you wanna make the same decisions the Washington Redskins do? Which you let Kirk Cousins walk and he continues to improve and now he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league with Minnesota. And you made ridiculous decisions like uh, okay, well now we need to you know pay Alex Smith 25 million and trade picks for Case Keenum, and we need to trade back into the first round to get Dwayne Haskins right. because they've made that much of a mess of the quarterback situation.
1: Well, you albeit do that, not some walk of that was unpredictable. Some some of that was unpredictable. A lot of it actually because of Alex Smith's injury.
2: But your point is still correct. And, uh, and but- I don't I I don't know that it was though because I mean even with Alex Smith's injury, I think they still would have been like Alex Smith was not planning. They didn't have Alex Smith to plan. Like you're the franchise quarterback for the next. Seven years that was always going to be some sort of a holdover but I, I mean even when you look at how poorly it went for the Redskins it, letting somebody walk in, in terms of that discussion point about well you should just let them walk you can't do that it doesn't work Te- teams don't work like that and when you look at the actual market I itself, would let him walk <laughs> the highest some of the guys who have been the highest paid in the NFL before uh, Jared Goff Matt Ryan kirk cousins carson wentz andrew luck uh jimmy garoppolo matthew stafford Derek carr who you pointed out to me in uh, discussions we we're having uh, before all this and i don't think you could ever say at any point any of them were the best quarterback in the nfl right. and none of them have won a super bowl Yeah, you know, carson wentz has a ring he didn't win a super bowl and if you look at the, I, I threw this stat out there the, just the other day. Carson Wentz, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, Matthew Stafford, Derek Carr, all of them signed what were called the richest contract in NFL history. And Dak, for all the criticism of how much he wins, and he's only got one playoff win and no Super Bowl appearance, Dak has more playoff wins right now as he's about to sign his contract than those five quarterbacks did combined when they signed theirs. They all had zero playoff wins. So – More than just that, if you look at between the playoffs and the regular season, Dak has more career wins, regular season and playoffs, or has the same amount as Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo did at the time they signed their deals combined between those two.
1: So I remember I wrote something last year at blogontheboys.com, um, like last off season because Dak was eligible for a contract extension at the time. And I don't know if you remember, um, because I did have to completely remind. I, I guess you just forgot Derek Carr was a person that existed, uh, which is fine. Uh, but I mean, um, <laughs> anyway. Um, Derek Carr got his extension after his third year with the, the oh, then Oakland Raiders. So mm-hmm. I, I last year compared Derek Carr's first three years to Dak Prescott's first three years because, you know, Derek's got him the, what was called the highest contract or highest paid contract in NFL history. So Derek Carr's uh, completion percentage, 61%. Dak Prescott, this is prior to 2019, which we both agree is objectively Dak's greatest statistical season, 66.1%. Derek Carr had thrown for 11,200 yards. Dak Prescott, just almost 11,000 in general. Uh, Derek Carr had 81 passing touchdowns. Dak Prescott had 67 passing, but 18 rushing. Derek Carr had thrown 31 interceptions. Dak Prescott had thrown twenty. 20- Derek Carr's record was 22 and 25. Dak Prescott's was 32 and 16 with a playoff win, obviously, coming off of last year. I did find it interesting that both of their third seasons came during what was Amari Cooper's best year for them, Um, obviously in Oakland and then in Dallas. But, yeah, I mean, like – but the problem, I think, and it it happens even in different ways. A little while ago you mentioned Kirk Cousins and you say – Oh yeah. He's one of the better quarterbacks right there. You lose people because people say he's not one of the better quarterbacks. Kirk cousin sucks. You know what I mean? And like, that's where, that's why something like this list is valuable. You know what I mean?
2: And and, and that's, and that's why I, I don't want, I really don't want to be rude, but there's really no way you can boil it down other than to say this when People say that some people like they are too ignorant to debate with. They aren't going to understand They don't know it. They don't know how the quarterback market works. They, they aren't aware of the advanced metrics. They, they, a lot of times aren't even aware of the standard metrics for measuring quarterback success and, and where certain guys rank in there and where Dak Prescott ranks in there. And so there are times where you're just going to have to kind of go, okay, you just need to go get educated. If you're not going to, if I, if I can't argue using this evidence with you, it's because you're not interested in arguing facts. And, and so that's where you – there does have to be a point where you just have to walk away from Dak critics. And I think in general, overall, if you're still a Dak critic, if you still don't think he's a top-ten quarterback in the league, then you're not somebody who can be reasoned with on the issue because all objective evidence says otherwise.
1: Right. I think nobody – and to be clear, you or I or any of our mutual friends or anybody that's Team Dak or pay DAC, whatever you want to call it, nobody is championing the cause – that Dak is the best quarterback in the NFL. I don't even think anyone is even close to arguing he's a top three quarterback. I even think that most people would probably agree he's just outside the top five. Would you? I mean, if, if I, you're, would, I would, I would put him in the top five. Okay,
2: I would. That's, I mean, I'm not. I would not like put him in the top three, but I would put him in the top five.
1: I mean, if I'm just going off the top of my head and I was not prepared for this, but I mean, we both agree Mahomes, Lamar in front of him. Um, I think in terms of who they are as players today, there's no way you're putting Brady or Breeze af- ahead of him. Um, maybe some people certainly would put Deshaun. Some people would put uh, maybe Aaron Rodgers today. I don't think either one of us would, but the the three unquestionable ones to me are Mahomes, Lamar, Russell Wilson. Those three are, are without doubt better quarterbacks than Dak Prescott. Then the conversation at least starts, and I can be convinced one way or the other.
2: I would have Mahomes, Wilson, Breeze, and Lamar. And Lamar is still touchy for me because I think that uh, – I'm still not told on what Lamar is as a passer, which is the name of the game as a quarterback. And I, I just – I'm waiting to see how when defense to start trying to – get him to pass instead of, you know, go on the run, like he does so frequently. I, I want to see how many of his passing opportunities disappear. And um, or when he's just forced to kind of make throws down the field, he, he still may be one of the better ones. Like I say, I haven't had a Dak right now because you have to. Right. But now, I, 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 w- I would not be surprised if by the end of next year we have, I, I would not be surprised if Dak is ahead of Breeze and Jackson by the end of next year in terms I, of where I would put him. You referenced this at the
1: beginning of your, um, I think I'm calling it a diatribe at this point. Um, But um, I remember when this happened. Yeah. I remember when this happened, when you tweeted that you had, this was entering the 2016 NFL draft. And when Cowboys fans were arguing over Jared Goff or Carson Wentz or Zeke or Jalen Ramsey, whatever. um, Mm -hmm. But you tweeted that you had Dak Prescott as a first round you know draft grade and i remember mm-hmm. when you had i believe it was matt waldman on cowboys cast at the time and you mm-hmm. mentioned it to him and i remember listening to that being like bobby dude let's just relax you know <laughs> like let <laughs> um so you know bobby's you know objectivity here goes way 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 back um but i think you're right i think that this is just a subject that people have decided the way they feel i don't think anyone is is being swayed at this point in time Um, And I think that, you know, I I think that Dak is somebody that plays a position that is inherently polarized. Um, And I think that, you know, we've both said this in different ways, but the Cowboys could go win the
2: Super Bowl this year. And there would be some level of criticism about it. People, people would complain about how he won it right. and why, okay, yeah, they won it, but they're not going to win another one for a long time because of how he did it. They got lucky, you know, so you got to move on for it. Like that's the way or, things are. I, I – I've never seen – I was talking to somebody in the Dallas media, and I won't say who, but I was talking to somebody in the Dallas media offline, and they had said, and I agree, it's they've never seen more local or national insanity about – a player like so objectively good of, are they good mm-hmm. or are they good enough? And I can't remember. They, they talk about it similarly to the Joe Flacco discussion, which right. if you look at it, Dak Prescott is so much more further along as a quarterback and a, and a passer and everything else than Joe Flacco was. And, and is a, an exceptionally better player and consistently ranks in the advanced and standard metrics, consistently ranks higher up near the league's top than Flacco ever did. And, um, you know, we had the – I, I love our buddies Sean and RJ at 105.3 The fan. but then, you know, they have a discussion of is Dak Eli Manning. And it's really you, – do you think that Dak – and, and the discussion centered around that, you know, I think that you look at it uh, you know, if, if Dak were to have Eli Manning's career in terms of like statistically being that player minus the championships, that would be, we'd be happy with that. No, because I think he's already surpassed what Eli was. Eli was never, I, I don't think Eli was ever as consistently good for a four-year stretch as Dak Prescott has been his first four years.
1: I agree with that. I think Eli had an incredible postseason in 2007. I think 2008 Eli Manning was probably his best, overall version uh, across a single season um then got hot again later obviously but you're right um i i do want to not clap back but i want to address something that is not in your list um and you because you mentioned that people would complain about the way the cowboys won the super bowl if dak prescott led them to it this season and Mm -hmm. in this hypothetical let's say that he did it on the first year of a long-term contract with the team the complaint Mm -hmm. would be uh, if we're to fast forward to, you know, the spring of 2021, man, you know, I'm, I'm hyped. I'm hyped AF that my Cowboys won the Super Bowl, uh, <laughs> but I'm so pissed off knowing that we won't be able to repeat because Dak took all that salary cap space. And that's, that's a take too, right? Like there's people that say, yeah. look, I like Dak, but I want to be able to afford this or that or whatever. What is your response to that?
2: um i think that it's funny because the percentage of the cap arguments my favorite one which i did this research once i have to go i don't think i ever posted it i don't even know if i shared it with you but etc.
1: wordpress.com check it out
2: yes 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 uh I, i'm gonna have to go find it and uh get it but I I believe that – what's the figure they always throw out? Nobody's ever won with a quarterback Uh, making 14% of the cap. 13.1, whatever, yeah, 13%. Okay, when Eli Manning signed his extension, uh, he was making above that. By the time they hit it in 2011, by the time they won that second Super Bowl, because of the way contract structures work, that particular year and with a rising cap, it was no longer above that threshold. But it was when he signed it. Just like when Dak signs it, it may be above. But if they win a Super Bowl three years after that, it's probably going to be below that threshold. Yeah, and so then like everybody to, can still to that plan. point, it, it,
1: if the Falcons it, it, won it this year, even though Matt Ryan was the first quarterback to hit $30 million and everything, et cetera.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and so that's why it, you, they're all the, they have to do these gymnastics to justify why you can't pay him. You need to just pay him. You, you pay the best players at the best position. There, there is no position that has a greater impact on the outcome of a game than quarterback, probably in just about any sport. Maybe, maybe pitcher in baseball has a pretty can be significant if, if you're dominant enough. You but can even still, I mean, but yeah, you're not
1: playing every game. That's the problem.
2: Yeah, and and even still, you're you know, there's going to be balls batted in play where you're relying on defenders behind you, mm-hmm. um, and so but. I think that when you look at what you can't do, and, and I would say that even if they won, let's say he signs a deal, and they win next year, and they go, oh, too bad we can't, because, you know, the first year of a deal is always lower than others. This is something I've heard so much from people, and it's driving me nuts because the first year of Dak Prescott's contract will not be significantly lower than all the other years. That's not going to happen his cap hit is going to be really large in the first year because they didn't get an extension done while he was still under contract. They were not able to shift some of the money into his low rookie contract year. Then yes, the first year of the deal is lower because you're taking a, million dollar salary and shifting some of the bonus money to it and so his cap hits like 15 million and you go oh look that's that's so much lower than the other years right because they were able to shift that bonus money to it what was already a low salary but this is fresh this is new money across the board that first year no matter what it is is going to be a significant hit and so if they were to win it next year they won it with a significant hit which means they could do it again
1: um I think you've done a great job, Bobby, of laying out the case. I thought the fonts you chose were very legalistic. Um, you know, like I felt like I was reading a court document. Um, that
2: is uh, That font, uh, you mean on the uh, the orange tiles or in the actual text of the article? In,
1: in the text. Like you have a subheading yeah, near, it's near just, the bottom it's, it's, that's
2: like it's, in the end. It just feels very informative. Yeah, it's just the, like the default text that was in there. The, the, if you like the uh, the the bullet point font there. That's called varsity. I'm a big <laughs> fan of it. It's a, uh, if you can tell, it looks like varsity lettering. I like you're, it a lot. You're talking I about, it the, I can.
1: you're talking about the font in your little cards, right? Like the,
2: yep, yep, yep. That's called varsity.
1: I downloaded it. It's very similar to the Cowboys font, like their Jersey font. Um, You know, so good, yeah, I, but it's varsity lettering, <laughs> but, um but yeah, so the jury is out you know, you've done everything you can. And I can, I I just get,
2: can I give just one final point really fast? Of course. The floor is is yours. Closing closing
1: statements. Go ahead.
2: It's, it's It's the most important, like the most consistent argument they make the critics of Dak Prescott is the whole variation of my eyes. Tell me, and that, you know, well, I see this, I see that, you know, yada, yada, yada. If you look through the article I provided there, Mike McCarthy talked glowingly about Dak Prescott before he got the job before he had any job there was no special interest he was protecting when he endorsed it uh the cowboys gave dak prescott the exclusive franchise tag that means they were willing to pony up the money to say he was worth one of the top five in the league just to be able to have the exclusive negotiating rights sean payton has spoken glowingly of dak prescott bill belichick has talked extensively at his press conference before the cowboys game about what dak does well and why he thinks he's so talented personnel departments like him front offices players all talk about how good he is. The very fact of the matter is you can say you don't like it or or you don't think that you know you're happy with the deal because you just you know you feel like he's going to regress because you don't think he looks the way he should. But that is not an argument you can use in a you know debate of facts because your eyes are not trained to make those sorts of decisions and the people whose eyes are trained to make those decisions and are paid to make those sorts of decisions are the people who all endorse Dak Prescott as one of the top quarterbacks in the league. So My Eyes Tell Me is no sort of defense in the face of all other objective evidence. If all evidence is against you, you cannot fall back on your eyes as any sort of factual part of a debate.
1: My Eyes Tell Me is officially going to be Bobby Belt's newest fantasy team name that features Dak Prescott as the
2: starting quarterback. Um, if that doesn't happen... That's a good idea.
1: Yeah, I'll be you know terribly disappointed.
2: No, no, um, no, no, no. no. My, the, the team name would be These Lion Eyes. I'd like that. Oh, um, okay. I mean,
1: it's up to you, you know, whether you want to take the suggestion or not. Uh, Bobby, this was a fun conversation as ours always are. Uh, what do you and Jane have cooking up? What do you have cooking up? Give us one last plug before you depart.
2: We have nothing. We have nothing right now. I mean, we will, but, uh, we're on hiatus right now, um, from the podcast, but we'll pick it up again. We should have another episode in the next few weeks. I know we're, we've, we've reached out to some people and, you know, we've got some uh, non-firm commitments for some fun interviews so it should be good we'll we'll we should be bringing you something in the next couple weeks
1: okay well um maybe bobby will stop by and we'll talk about something a little bit more simplistic like uniforms uh the varsity font um who knows um
2: last thing bobby give us something. series on recess who are yeah. the best players in backyard baseball
1: oh uh, uh, pablo Pablo was the best. I'm back.
2: Okay, race. see that's what everybody says, but like I mean, I think the best all-around player was probably Pete Wheeler. It's time he can do everything, and he had speed. And
1: it's time for you to go, Bobby, because if you're gonna be
2: wrong about this, yeah, Pablo is great. Him. I'm just saying we forget the power Mikey Thomas had. He was practically Babe Ruth at the at the plate. So,
1: Bobby Belt on Twitter, Bobby Belt TX, Bobby Belt etc. dot wordpress. dot com. Thank you for taking the time to join us, my dude.
2: I love you all except the DAC critics.
1: Want to give a big time shout out to Bobby for taking the time to join us once again, bobbybelt, et cetera.wordpress.com. Dot dot that is et cetera. ETC. I don't even know how to spell it. Like if I think that's the only way to spell it. Actually, I don't think there's uh, another way, uh, but go check that out. And, um, you know, good stuff. Good, good talk. And, I, you know, he and I ultimately agree there, and I think you agree with us, whether you are pro or anti Dak. As a football player, as we discussed, this this conversation is about Dak, the quarterback. Um, if someone's made up their mind at this point, you know, you're not changing it, right? I, I We've all, you know, if you are pro Dak, I think, you know, we've all kind of regurgitated the same statistics and the same points of data and the same arguments, et cetera. Um, and it's just, now it's about kind of waiting it out and seeing what happens. Um, and so, you know, if Dak Prescott gets a deal before July fifteenth, if not, the next uh, five to six weeks are, are certainly going to be long and certainly going to be arduous uh, from a football standpoint. Um, I'm always here if anybody wants to talk about anything football or anything otherwise. Uh, I'm on Twitter or Instagram, or I should say Twitter and Instagram at RJOchoa on both platforms. My DMs are open if you um, you know you don't want to tweet something publicly. It's up to you. Uh, you can always email me as well, RJ.Ochoa at sbnation.com. We'll have a brand new episode of Broadcasting the Boys later on today. In your Blog and the Boys podcast feed. Ari Temkin and Roy White chopping it up. Um, Make sure to subscribe to the Blog and the Boys podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple devices, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. We are everywhere uh, all the time. So uh, if you can, subscribe to us. If you can, give us a rating, write a review. Those things are very helpful. And uh, if you can do me one more favor, if you can have the absolute best Thursday of all time, you know why? Because you deserve it. We will see you manana, my friends. As always, go Cowboys and peace out.